Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. This week's podcast is about 8th grade and Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Uh, for the first part of the podcast, I am joined by my friends Kayla Mead and Adam Lichtenstein. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. And for the second half of the podcast, I'm just going to be joined by Kayla when we discuss Mamma Mia 2. But we're going to start with 8th grade because I think that uh, it's one that all three of us saw, but also that I think it's – I have a little more to say about it. So I figured I'd lead off with that one. As I'm sure most of you that are listening know, 8th grade is the debut film by comedian Bo Burnham. Uh, Follows uh, an 8th grade girl played by a newcomer – or not a newcomer. She's done some acting before, Elsie Fisher, who's really impressive as as this – girl is in her last week of eighth grade and she's uh, a little bit of an outcast at school and it's following some of the things that she has to go through and process and deal with the difficulties that come with being an eighth grader and basically not being one of the popular kids at school and uh bo burnham has described it as he wanted to make a movie about the internet and it's just kind of what led him to it and it's cool that that's kind of his uh how he got there but i think a lot of people were kind of like huh a 27-year-old male comedian is making a movie about an eighth-grade girl, and I myself was not that familiar with Bo Burnham. You guys were, so what did you think when you're a little familiar with this comedy? When you saw what this movie was about, I know you guys were excited to see it, but what did you think when it's like, that's Bo Burnham doing that? It's He's a 27-year-old dude, and it's a movie about an eighth-grade girl. What was your initial reaction? Was it like, that's weird? Why is he the one making this movie? Or it's like, I know his sensibilities, and I bet he's, I bet it's going to be interesting. What was your reaction to that? Kayla, go well, ahead. there was. There were no piano comedy moments, so a little disappointed there because that's, <laughs> you know, what Bo Burnham's known for. There wasn't even any piano playing, playing so here we are. Yeah, Adam, what did you think when you saw that Bo Burnham was making a movie about an eighth-grade girl? Uh, I guess I really didn't have a lot of time to be confused about it because I first heard about the movie uh, in when I saw uh, a piece about it, an interview with Bo Burnham about the movie, So I, and he addressed it in the interview where he basically just said, if I did a movie about an eighth grade boy, it would just be all about like, you know, video games and whatever. They're not eighth grade boys aren't that interesting. So I, I didn't really have a lot of time to process like that, I guess, dissonance between a 27 year old man making a movie about a 13 year old girl because it was just addressed like when I first saw it. But right. when he explained it, it, it made sense because, yeah, like he said, like I said that he said eighth grade boys are kind of boring. I mean, I was <laughs> an eighth boy and I was pretty boring. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of interviews with him, and he's like, he, everyone's like, "How did you get inside the minds of eighth, like eighth grade girls or whatever?" He's like, well, "Kids these days put everything online, and that's you know." He said he's wanted to make a movie about the internet, and he's like, "The girls I was able to find videos for or stuff where they're talking about the things. It's in the boys. The boys' videos were just talking about like you said, like video games, and the girls were talking about their souls." Was how he put it. Uh, so I guess that makes more sense. It's going to make for a more insightful movie. So. Uh, First of all, I, before we get into all the specifics and before I ramble on talking about other big picture things, uh, did you guys did, did you guys like it? Well, what was your initial takeaway from it? I loved it. I that's one of my favorite movies I think I've seen you know so far this year, and I came into it expecting to like it because I, I've liked a lot of Bo Burnham stuff before, but I really I just really enjoyed it. I thought it was poignant. It was funny. It made a lot of good points might not be the right word but it's just i think it was an act as far as i can tell an accurate reflection of what it's like for for a kid growing up you know now because i know i've wondered because when i was growing up social media was a thing i mean myspace existed and facebook was just coming into existence when i was in high school it was just kind of starting to starting to grow into its own uh but i didn't i wasn't immersed in it i was just kind of i kind of saw it but i wasn't it wasn't my whole life like I imagine it probably is for 
you know, a 13 year old now in their Snapchat and Instagram and, and nobody, like she said, nobody uses Facebook anymore, but it's still there. It's still a behemoth that has to be reckoned with. But yeah, I, I just, I found, I just really enjoyed it. I, I like pretty much everything about it. Kayla, what about you? I had a very different experience uh, because I didn't read a lot up on it. I was like, okay, well, it's about this girl like in eighth grade and how, you know, being a teenager is hard. But then it was like, oh, the main character's name is Kayla. And personally, I hated middle school, as most people do. And I tried to forget about it. And it really brought me back. And I'm not sure if I like that or not. Yeah. But, was, well, you might not have liked it, but you thought it was well done, though, even it, if it's like kind of like bringing back some uh, kind of memories. Yeah. No, he did really, really great with the vibe of the film. And it was a, it, the story was fantastic. And it very much deserves this 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I want to pick up on what Adam said, too, though, because. Uh, to, to, to be completely, oh, I already told you guys that from the moment you left the theater, like you're aware that you weren't my first choice to do this podcast with, because I was like, it'd be cool to get like an eighth grader or something like that, or someone of that age, because you guys are just, I'm 27. You, you guys are only like a year younger than me. Like Adam said, we didn't have that experience when we were younger. I don't know when you guys first got cell phones. I didn't get mine until my freshman year of high school. So I ne- I was never that age with a cell phone and everything that's hooked up to it. So it's like, it's a very foreign experience to me, but it felt like I'm sure he did capture it pretty well. It's just like, I can't really speak to that exactly. I can only go off of like hearing the interviews and Elsie Fisher. I've listened to some of the press they've done together. And it seems like he did a good job of just like deferring to the kids, you know, and like being like, would that happen? And if they were like, no, he changed something up. Like he was pretty flexible. Apparently a lot of the lines, a lot of the things in the movie, like, all the messages going back and forth where they're doing Instagram direct message. Like when he first wrote the script, it was all Facebook. And then like, mm-hmm. even when they got on set, it was still Facebook. And then Elsie Fisher was like, no one uses that anymore. So he added that line in the movie when the girl, um, Kennedy's telling her mom, when she's telling them later to the party, she's like, she's like, Oh, she'll still Facebook you about it. And she's like, mom, no one uses that. Like that was like an, almost an, not an improv, but like something they added in on set because he was like constantly fine tuning it to be like more with the times. And so, I don't know what it's like because I didn't get Facebook till literally follow my senior year of high school. And so I was just like, I, I don't want to speak to speak like I know exactly what I'm talking about on this. I, I'm aware of the fact that I don't. But like I can only imagine like the angst that does come with that, you know? Hell. Yeah, well, well, from what my my youngest brother, he's 17. Mm-hmm. And um, his social media is so much different than mine. And we have, yes, and I'm you know, a nine year gap. And that's a pretty big gap, but it's the way they use social media is entirely different. And like, as everyone does on social media, you're searching for those likes, you're searching for that validation, but it's a lot deeper for them because that's the validation that, you know, they're being surrounded with through this crucial time of puberty, which if we all remember in puberty, we all just wanted to be liked. Yeah. It's like all of us can talk about how like rarely, like, I don't want to say middle school was completely miserable for me. I think by the end of both middle school and high school, like I kind of had it figured out. Like I had my group of friends, I knew what activities I was good at. And I kind of, I kind of just buried myself in those things, but like definitely there are, were, were difficult times, but it's like, just imagine the difficulty like compounded by the stressors of that. And just being able to think about how miserable I would have been because of that, I think allowed me to like really emotionally connect to the film. But yeah, like I, I think that it really like, for instance, I think in the last few years, I've even in the last few years, like maybe even in law school or, or recent as law school or undergrad, I'm pretty sure I had at least a couple times where I saw like people like a party on Facebook. I wasn't invited to. 
you know, FOMO. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like that's something that doesn't happen before social media. Like maybe you might hear other kids talking about a party, but if like someone made it a point not to invite you to something or really just forgot and it wasn't a topic of conversation at school, you're none for the wiser. And that just doesn't happen anymore. It's like, like I, I would have found out about that stuff beforehand, but it's like, think how much more often that kind of thing just happens now. If it happened once or twice to you in middle school, where like a lot of people were at a party that you weren't invited to, like stuff like that, like happens all the time. So like, you could still relate to it in that way, even if we didn't have all of this technology then. So yeah, like I think you can, you know, you, you can be any age and still relate to this, even if like, yeah, current eighth grade kids are probably going to be the most like easy to relate to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, even with its R rating, did you see where they were doing the showings that if you were you That's know, really in cool. that age range of eighth grade, they were like, oh, well, we're going to make it free to you because you're kind of our target audience because you're living this. Right. Adam, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, going back to just, you know, how teenagers are using social media right now, uh, not a plug for my own work, but I know there's a reporter, uh, Taylor Lorenz, who writes for The Atlantic, who that's basically her beat is like, technology and, and how, teens, yeah. how teens and how teens are using it. And she has, she's done a lot of really, really interesting articles just about, you know, how kids are talking about the news on, on Instagram, like making burner accounts on Instagram, just to talk about politics and stuff like a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, think about the Parkland kids. Like they were setting up March for our lives, all of these different things through social media. Right. So like they can use it for good, but like, I think one of the best parts of the movie is the montage where like, she just like goes to bed one night and it's just like, all of a sudden it's just like a scroll of everything she's looking at on her phone. And I don't even think you have to be in middle school to relate to that. Like sometimes like I love TV. I love movies. I like reading articles about things on the internet, but sometimes I'm like the most comfortable when I can just get in bed and turn my brain off and just scroll through all the shit. You know what I mean? Like you're not having to focus on any one thing. And it's like, I, I didn't have that when I was in eighth grade, but I, I can still relate to that now. And it's like, just imagine, like, I could just totally imagine that being where kids are the most comfortable. And I think the movie just got that kind of idea of, like, yeah, people might be lonely, but at the same time, like, when you're lonely, like, you'd almost rather be able to go retreat to the comfort of that than, like, sitting at the dinner table talking to your dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, admit, I think that makes a lot of sense. I And I do think, yeah, that's kind of just what I feel like almost everyone does just to, like, when they're going to bed, they just, okay, here's, you know, one scroll through Twitter or, or Facebook or Instagram and just, you know, mindlessly liking things or, or reading a status or whatever. It just is something that people just kind of do now. It's like the last thing they do before they go to bed. Okay, but hold on. Let me make a point real quick. Yeah. All right, how you said, oh, sitting at the dinner table with your dad. All right, both of you guys are guys. So you've never been a 13-year-old girl sitting next to your dad at the dinner table. Like, they... They just don't get it. <laughs> like, they, they just don't. They just don't. They're trying to be the cool dad, and you're like, just just stop. Well, he obviously and doesn't that's... get it, but, like, she had her earphones in, like, listening to music at the dinner table with the dad. Yeah, like, but – What, what but parents are not, sound... not going to be annoyed? Okay, but they made it sound like they had that agreement because she's like, oh, well, it's Friday. Right. So, right, I mean, right. maybe Friday's the only day she's allowed to have her phone at the dinner table. Like, I know my family – and Adam can attest to this, that we don't bring our phones to the dinner table. You put them on the kitchen bar, and then you come to the dinner table. That's a really and, smart thing to do. Yeah, my parents kind of have it figured out. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, it seems like that was agreed upon by her and her dad, that it's like, okay, well, Friday's the day that I can, you know, just sit here, eat dinner, and scroll. Right. What about, what about the um, 
I'm glad we got into that bigger picture internet stuff, but like there is still that component of it that pretty much any person going to the movies could be able to relate to aside from the phones. It's like when she shows up at the school. So what we, I, I thought it did a pretty good job. It had some really good moments. I thought one of my few criticisms of the movie, because I don't even know if I said it earlier, you guys said you really liked it. I really liked it too. One of my few criticisms is that like I wanted a few more kid characters that weren't like on polar ends of it. Like you had like the super nice understanding, awkward kid who she connects with later in the movie. And you had the girls that were just like super catty and not nice to her. And you had the one kid that just, like, only wanted, like, girls to send him dirty pictures. And I wanted, like, a few more characters, like, in the middle. Like, you see some of them. Like, I'm sure some of the kids at the party were fine. They weren't like that, but you don't get to know them. But, like, still, I, th- I still thought it did a good job with a lot of the bigger moments with the kids. Like, I thought that whole party sequence was great because I have been at parties before where it's – you're not, like, a stranger to the people there, but they're all friends with – better friends with each other than you are with any of them. And I think it captured that kind of feeling really well. What did you guys think about just its depiction of, like, the school setting and, like, her relations with the other students in general? Okay, well, first of all, her superlative was quietest. Is that a superlative so, anywhere? Maybe. Uh, as, as a former eighth grade most likely to succeed winner. Oh, look at you. At, uh, doing big things. Um, I don't think that's an actual superlative. Okay. Okay, but it clearly like explains about the character. So just calm down. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to get my humble brag in. Yeah, that was not. Very that humble. wasn't humble at all. <laughs> that was just a brag. But go ahead, Kayla. Yeah, but um, they really talk about, you know, with her being the quiet one, and that she'll be like, "Oh, congratulations," and nobody even hears her voice, which. I mean, goes to a bigger theme of the whole film that she doesn't have this public voice, but then she slowly grows into it. You know, she has her videos, which cause you to detach from the world and blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't seem like she has a lot of friends. So you're not going to see a lot of those run-of-the-mill kids. You're going to see, oh, here's the boy she she thinks is cute. So, you know, she's going to try to interact with him. And, oh, this is what he likes. And I'm 13, and I don't know any better, so I'm going to try to get him to notice me by what he likes. And then it's also, oh, but they're the cool girls, so I want to hang out with the cool girls because, you know, my video is be confident and take a chance, so I'm going to be confident, and I'm going to take a chance, and I'm going to try to be a cool girl. So it's showing who she's choosing to surround herself with, which is why the... um, the different boy, I guess is the best way to put it. He's different from the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, why her finally connecting with him at the end, for me, is so much more effective because she's trying to choose these groups, but then she finally found a group that works for her. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think I think that makes a lot of sense. And I guess I guess they, they did reference her having friends a couple of times, and like she. I want like she's doing one of the videos and she's saying something about like oh the yeah this whole thing about how like before she goes to the party and like she's like oh yeah my dad made me invite this one other girl to the party that I didn't want to invite because other people thought she was weird and then she actually turned out to be really cool so she okay okay but hold on I don't think that actually happened I think that was her wishful thinking I think it was like she wants you know she was playing that she was the cool girl oh she was making that up for a video she was I think so. Okay, that's interesting. I don't think that actually happened. I think it was wishful thinking because she's like, oh, if you're confident, just go out and do it and be it. And she was trying to go out and do it and be it. But it was all kind of a, you see that, 
you see that online personality and you see the real personality. I did like how so, she was talking about like confidence as a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's kind of funny. Like she's not she's not necessarily that that's Melody. We have a fourth co-host for anyone wondering. Uh, she has a lot of opinions. Right, but she isn't necessarily the most qualified person to be giving out advice on all this stuff. And I think she recognizes that, um, later on in the movie, but it's just, it is funny how like insightful she actually is. And that she does take that initiative to like, at least make those videos, I guess, whether they all be completely hundred percent factual or not. Like I thought it was a pretty good insight into like how a kid like that might think where she's talking about this difference between just like being shy and not liking and actually choosing not to talk or how you just have to be confident and act confident even if you're not and then people will think you are and then you become confident like i did like those moments where she's just like kind of talking us through her psyche mm-hmm. I, I really like i feel like it, it, that, that's something that speaks to to everyone i mean you look at anyone's you know online profile whether it's their instagram or facebook or twitter and you get a look at their facade their best version of themselves the best version of themselves you know the places they go on vacation and all the cool things they're doing and all the helpful 140 character i guess 200 you know 180 character now but you know life advice that they're espousing or they're retweeting when in reality no one has it figured out so you see her you see her talking about being confident and you know faking it till you make it and all this stuff and then you see her you know immediately after trying to do it and it's it's not so easy you you know it's easy to put it in a youtube video but it's not so easy to go out and, and do it when you're actually afraid of being you know rejected and, and being disliked and they really made a good point in the film about that where she goes to this party and the first thing she does is go into the bathroom and have like a little mini anxiety attack where it's like okay she's this one face on the videos, but then she goes to a party and has a complete anxiety attack. And so, yeah, talking to a screen is a lot easier than talking to a person. For sure. And I, and like I already talked about, I thought that, uh, that party scene was like really, really, really well done. And, and then it, it, she kind of follows it up. She's still taking her own advice in a cool way that kind of it, it, we'll talk about the end in a minute, but it kind of comes back later where she's still trying to build on that experience and reach out to the popular girls, writes them that thank you note, which is just way mature beyond her years. It's not the kind of thing girls that age are going are going to appreciate for the most part and goes on. And I think she's feeling pretty down about herself at that point. And then it uh, leads into this whole uh sequence with the with the high schoolers so what did you guys think about that where she has this experience at high school she gets to get to guns of that that girl she shadows is like really understanding and i'm and i don't know what, what, what i don't know how common that is where people shadow people in high school i well i, I felt that yeah i did and i i, I don't want to say that that was unrealistic because i actually did that once before but it was more like i was maybe going to go to an ib program and like i wanted to go see i had to go see that but it wasn't like just a matter of course thing we did in middle school but what were you gonna say well like for me I kind of had I had an experience like that um I was in band and so you know your first band camp you get your mentor and they kind of help you figure it out because it's 105 degrees and everything hurts and you're dying (laughs) um but when I was that incoming freshman I got along a lot better with the people who were juniors. I didn't get along with the people who were in my class. You know, I got along with those older kids that I felt, you know, more myself. And I wasn't, I mean, obviously trying to impress them because 
you know, 14 years old and you just want to be liked, you know, like Kayla in the film, but they're not as catty. They're not, oh, well, your Instagram's really dumb and you never talk, so you can't sit with us. And, you know, it's more like, okay, well, yeah, you have dreams. I have dreams. Like, good for you for figuring it out early. Like, you actually seem like a really cool person, not a boring person. You mean the, the, the older kid saying that to the younger person, you mean? Yeah, the older kid saying that to the younger person yeah, because yeah, yeah. she thought, she's like, oh, I'm just quiet and I'm boring and nobody notices me. But then she had a chance to blossom. Like, she had a chance for someone to hear her. And as you see through the rest of the film, like, having one person actually hear her voice that isn't her dad, you know, did wonders for her to realize, oh, you know, these eighth grade people, they're not my people, and that's okay. And I think seeing someone as well-adjusted as Olivia was to high school, like, made her realize that, hey, like, you're just having someone nice enough and take the time to talk to her to explain that, hey, like, that's fine, like, a lot of people don't like middle school, like, it's going to get better. I think that probably just helps a lot, and it made a lot of sense that that would help give her a new perspective. Uh, Adam, what did you think of that sequence? And I'm talking about that sequence, I guess, up until that car scene, which we'll talk about next. Uh, I, I really like the sequence. I mean, the whole scene where they're all hanging out in the mall really reminded me of, like, what I did in high school because we didn't really do a whole lot. We basically just went to the movies and went to the beach. Because what, what else can you do, really? If exactly, yeah. But uh, I, I, just, I really I like the whole sequence, kind of like what you guys touched on, that, that there's someone who's more mature who can say that, no, you know, you're, what you're going through right now isn't all there is, uh, that there's – a light, a, a, a light at the end of the tunnel where that, you know, you can be yourself and you'll grow into a more mature person and you're already pretty cool, but you know, things are going to get better. Uh, it was just a very optimistic and just a all around good sequence up until, uh, the car scene. Or actually, what about her dad showing up? What, what, what about that note? That was interesting. Oh my, I died a little bit inside for her. So everyone I, can relate to that a little bit. Just having a helicopter parent or not even hel- he's not a helicopter parent. He was just like really cares about his daughter, I guess. And was just a little, well, cool. and also like, he didn't know the kids she was going out with. Right. Like, I mean, that's what that's what a good parent would do. Be like, okay, you know, is my daughter hanging out with, you know, these questionable characters? Like, I've never heard her talk about them before. I've never seen them before. Like, he's doing his duty as a good parent, like, making sure his kid's okay. Also, can I just say, I, I so really, like, that scene where uh, she's in the car with her dad and he's driving her to the mall... I was just like uh, I was dying a little bit inside. Where he's just like she's just like stop being weird. Don't just look at the road. Just stop stop being weird. You're, whatever you're doing, it's weird because you could tell. You could tell. You could he feel, was probably you, really happy and smiley, and she was like yeah. making her uncomfortable. I'm pretty was, sure I, we've had that conversation recently, Adam. Well, what are you gonna do? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's just like I, I you could feel that inside where it's like you're you're old, and you everyone goes through that phase where like you're old enough to go out with your friends by yourself but you're also not old enough to to drive drive (laughs) she's like dad can you take me to the mall so i can get away from you (laughs) no yeah i mean how many times have we gone to the movies as teenagers and our parents like sit in the back and we sit in the front I don't well, that's actually think that happened a ton. I think that <laughs> might have happened a time or two where my parents were uh, nice enough to get me a new rated R movie and or something like that, or someone else's parents were, but the parents just kind of had to be there. Uh, and luckily, I think my parents were at least trusted me enough to lead me to my own devices at the movie theaters when I was around that age. 
but yeah, so I think the well, you also weren't a girl, so true, true, true. <laughs> the, the movie, it's, I mean, the movie itself, it's about it's just about it's about eighth grade, which is a weird, it's a weird age because you're not independent enough to do your, to totally do your own thing, but you're in it, but you're old enough to want that independence and not and not really realistically be able to have it because of uh, the driving thing, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the. There's there's two things in this movie that touch on uh, really sensitive material in different ways, and I'm guessing the, the, one involves blowjobs, the other one involves uh, uncomfortable scene in the car that happens later. I'm guessing it's the former that is more responsible for the R rating, even if I, there are very few eighth graders that don't know what a blowjob is. But uh, the, oh, am I, am I am I I guess, I guess it de- depends on girl. depends on where you're from. I'd say that I did I did go to a middle school. Well, no, like I mean, think about in the scene how easy it was. For her to just Google it. That's like, I mean, think about uh, that. Like, good, yeah. they could have heard the word once on, you know, some random movie, at, like eighth grade. Um, <laughs> and they could have looked it up and been like, okay, well, what are they talking about? And so many kids have phones now that... So I'm saying there aren't like, going to be... That's what I'm going to say. There, I, I was just saying for the purposes of it, the movie being rated R... Like there's there's very few eighth graders that don't know what a blowjob is, so I'm guessing that is what got it the R rating. That's what that's what oh, my okay. point was. Uh, and so, but like still, so what did, what did you guys think? Uh, we, we can. Uh, how do you think the movie handled that? Because that's a you're asking a 14 year old actress to like deal with some sensitive material, and I'll I'll start with the the whole like Kayla was talking about googling it and the whole banana scene with their dad was actually really funny. How do you think the movie handled that material? Well, first of all, I thought I thought for sure her dad was going to walk in on her, you know, throwing like, a banana. Like, like yeah. this movie's version of the this movie's version of like American Pie. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it's no homage to American Pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's what I thought was going to happen. But um, it's like but she's, she, but it's like she's fourteen. The guy in American Pie is presumably eighteen. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, but that, yeah, that scene over that scene in general was really funny. And watching her reaction because you could tell. I mean, not to get you know too political or anything, but. The state of uh, sex education, depending on where you are in America, is uh, hit or miss. Yeah, I, I, I still have an abstinence-only credit card in my uh, bedside table back in Gulf Breeze, Florida, in the panhandle of Florida. So that kind of tells yep. you how the education varies depending on where you grew up. Yeah, I, I signed one of those too. You had to sign it to pass your health class. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, so, I mean, who knows? I mean, you're in eighth grade. You, you hear things, and I guess – it's, like I said, like Kayla said, it's different now when you, everyone, every kid has a phone in their pocket and can just Google it or whatever. But um, I know growing up, it's like, okay, you hear things and maybe you find out, you know, someone tells you or, or you know, you watch some videos. You have stuff. to ask the older cousin. <laughs> you, you, like, ask, you ask cousin or whatever. And if you're an only child these days, you go to YouTube. You go to yeah. YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So I just thought it was an interesting scene because I don't. I don't know. It's, I haven't been in eighth grade since 2005, so I guess that's what kids do these days. You know, they hear a phrase that they don't know what it is, and they, they Google it, and they either – and they get grossed out, you know, they, and they freak out because that's something that they haven't even considered. Right, and then like Kayla said earlier, like it's totally uh, realistic that you would uh, – like a girl would do that kind of thing when she – see the boy she likes, she finds out that he's into that kind of stuff, and I'm sure there are – 14-year-old boys are dumb enough to just ask a girl if she likes blowjobs and someone in her position might go and do that. And I think they did it in about the most tasteful way they could. And like I said, yeah, it might have gotten in the R rating, but like eighth graders definitely know about this stuff. So like mm. it was probably a pretty realistic way of depicting how to go about that. And like 
I I don't know. I, I'm glad that like he, Bo Burnham like didn't like try and make it a PG-13 script just to like be able to appeal to a larger audience. It's kind of funny. He's like told people like they're, like Kayla mentioned earlier, they're doing these screenings around the country this week where I don't know exactly how it works and they get around the rating system, but always like they're letting people under 17 get in and so they can see it and i think it's better because like eighth grade is not pg-13 just the experience of eighth grade itself like you're gonna hear f-bombs you're gonna hear talk about sex and stuff like that and i'm i'm glad he found a way to address it without putting the actress in too uncomfortable of a situation but still having it feel realistic or illegally right or it's still having it feel realistic at the same time you know what i mean uh, I thought they did a pretty good job of that. The other thing I want to talk about is that car scene when they come back from the mall. Uh, they conceived of this movie. I'm, I'm sure he wrote the, started writing the movie four years ago, and uh, they filmed. I'm just assuming probably around last summer because I know they did it when the actor, act, when all the kid actors weren't in school. So they did it during last summer, which would have been before the Me Too movement started. And while this isn't exactly a Me Too thing, it's not like someone like in a well, it is someone in a position of power over her, but not like a celebrity or famous person, which is largely what this movement is centered on. Like we've been talking about sexual assault and harassment like a lot more in the last year, and and, and an eighteen year old putting a fourteen year old in that situation certainly fits the bill. So. How do you guys – so it's kind of interesting that they just happened to conceive of this scene like even before any of that stuff came about. Like a lot of people are going to say it's very timely, and it was also very prescient and that he like thought to write about that before our society has talked a lot more about that kind of thing. So how do you think Bo Burnham handled writing that script and uh, that scene and how it was depicted on screen? Okay, well, you guys were teenage boys once. Right. So – when you were trying to like hit on a girl in high school, wouldn't you be like, haha, let's play never have I ever or let's do truth or dare and you would try to whatever your, you know, motive was, whether it was, you know, to like get a boob touch or get a blow job, like whatever level you were at. You're presuming a lot about the crowd I hung out with in high school. Yeah, I was uh, like, you're, you're bold enough to assume that I was confident enough to hit on a girl. Right. <laughs> I, my, my, me and my friends made up half of the top ten of our graduating class. And it's to say, like, we had some friends that were girls, but, I mean, more often than not, like, it's probably just a bunch of dudes hanging out. Um, oh, you didn't want to touch a boob in high school? I didn't say I didn't want to. I was just saying, like, I, being, in a, <laughs> being in a position to do so and wanting to are two very different things. But I get what okay. you were saying in that it's okay, – you know, well, certainly some it. There are certainly some boys that would do that for sure, yes. Yeah, and it's like – but at the same time, he may not have realized, like, how old she was. That it's like, oh, she's hanging out with the high school kids. And, yeah, she was introduced like, oh, this is, like, my mentee. My shadow, yeah. You my shadow, whatever, but I mean, I'm sure you guys have noticed sometimes you guys are in one ear out the other, but it could also have just been opportunity. Well, I think it, it, it's implied that he does know, you know, how old she is because he goes on it after she rejects him, you know, that I was just trying to help you because you're going to be older and it's just going to happen and it's going to suck. And I was trying oh, to be, you're, you're right. You're right. right. I now, about that. now your first experience is going to be with some just some dude and it's going to be bad and you're not going to know what to do uh, anymore. Some, just some dude in his car. Yeah, right. Like, like, that, like, 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 like that. Like, yeah, like he like he's like, this would have been special if you had done it now because this is a really special setting, I guess. I don't I don't know. You know, um, but yeah, like I, I, I'm also thinking, trying to think of it as the perspective from like how, um, yes, that's like a situation that people are put in, and I think they make it do a pretty good job making it clear like that's not okay, and she reacts as you would want as your, she should as you would want your 14 year old daughter too. Can I just say like I saw, I love horror movies. I saw A Quiet Place. I saw uh, well, I can't uh, shoot. What's the movie am I thinking of? 
Uh, What's the other horror movie this year? Oh, Hereditary? Hereditary. Yeah, Hereditary. So yeah, I saw Quiet Place. I saw Hereditary. And that car scene was the scariest scene in a movie I've seen this year, for sure. Well, that's But, but that's real life for a lot of girls. I know. I know. And uh, Like, even and as it, an adult woman, it's like, okay, well... I think I'm like, all right, I need to park under a light if I'm going out somewhere. Like, okay, if I'm going to take an Uber, is there someone I can take the Uber with? Like, I mean, she's being brought, like, she's being introduced to this world that, oh, I need to, like, watch out for myself kind of thing. Like, she's, what I like about this film is that everything's a transition. You know, it's a transition from her being so- socially anxious to, you know, making friends. It's this transition from, you know, eighth grade to high school. Um, it's this transition from, you know, thinking her dad's weird to, like, realizing how much he loves her. And this whole film, this is one of her transition parts. Well, her glad- transition is learning to be, as bad as it sounds, to be scared of men. I also, I, one more point about that I, yeah. that I thought was really important uh, was that so in the end, spoiler alert, you know, she she yells at the guy, he backs off, which is great. I mean, she, and she stands up for herself. That's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets It helps home. her find her voice. She, she gets home and and she runs to her room and is sobbing and is a mess. And I think it does I think it shows that, you know, these you don't you don't you don't have to be raped. You don't have to actually be really assaulted. You, you know, in, Yeah, you don't even have to be touched for it to be something to be traumatizing. Yeah, yeah traumatizing because you can anyone who watches that scene would say oh my god that's horrible that's that's awful but you hear a real life case of someone being groped or you know maybe or pressured into sex or something and you know there are people out there who say well you 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 kind of consented you know and you you said yes you didn't say no well there's some states where um it's still a law that a woman will say yes and then change her mind and be like, no, 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 um, you know, I'm not cool with this. And it's still considered consensual because she gave a yes. Yeah, so I think it's important, to, yeah, it, that there are situations that might not fit the traditional idea of sexual assault, but that are still really bad. Great. And I, I moving on a second, I, I, I like, or going backwards a second, I guess, and then moving on. I like the point Kayla made, though, about how it is about transitions and specifically at that point in the movie because she not long after that has a talk about her dad that is probably one of the more moving scenes I've seen in movies in recent years where she's she wants her her dad to help her burn it one of the funnier moments it starts out with one of the funnier moments when he's like what are we burning burning she's like oh, nothing just my hopes and dreams and then it just lingers on his face and it's great as a millennial i feel that right but <laughs> just the way it lingers on his face after she says that is just such great direction that you just like took the time to like actually like have what a father's face would look like in reaction to hearing something like that and it's really moving because she's obviously like feeling very down about herself at that point uh through no fault of her own but like she's obviously questioning a lot of things and she's feeling very insecure and just doesn't really know where to go from there and i there might have been a couple other scenes in between that i can't remember at the point where she goes to have him do the burning but like she's obviously that's obviously part of why she's not feeling so good at the moment and it has a really moving scene where he just like early in the movie he's trying to tell her how awful she is and i think at that point she's ready to like listen to her dad like she's been through enough she's like i need someone to someone to confide in and someone to uh make me feel a little better and i'm sure he, i can still trust him to do that and i don't know it's pretty cool how he's just like 
you know, I never really had to do anything. I, you're just like, I'm not worried about you. You might be worried about yourself, but like, here are all the reasons I think you're going to be fine. And I don't know, like, it was one of the better scenes I can ever remember seeing between a child and their parent. Yeah, it was it was incredibly touching because you could tell. Uh, I don't know the actor's name, the, the guy who plays her father. His you name's know. Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton. So you know, you could tell he's trying. He's not a bad father. He's far from a bad father. He, you know, he's trying his best. You know, he's learning as he's going because you know Elsie Fisher is his only child. You, could, you said you could. And tell he's a there. single dad. Yeah, and you can tell he's trying. And, but he's just not able to break through because a lot of 13-year-olds just kind of want to be left alone. They want to – they don't want that – they don't want their parents being overbearing and being uncool and embarrassing them. So that's how she – and that's how it is for, the rest of, for most of the movie. So you can tell he finally gets to – he finally breaks through when she needs it the most. And, you know, he's able to talk to her because he tries to have that talk at the dinner table and she's not about it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want – she doesn't want to deal with that. She doesn't want to – you know, really feel emotions, I guess, or really have to deal with that kind of conversation until she's ready to have it. And unfortunately, it took something bad for that, for her to be ready to have that conversation. But I mean, isn't that everybody? You have to have something. Right. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Bad, not ideal happen for you to like really hear a message. Like someone can say that you're the greatest thing ever, but maybe you don't need to hear that right then. You need to hear it down like all yeah. the way down in the dumps. I don't. I don't think that's unusual. I, I think that's and I think that's one of the good things about this movie is that nothing in this movie is unusual. Nothing about it's uncommon. And it reminded me a lot of Boyhood in that it's just like this is someone's life. Like this is how people live. And nothing. There's no external like source of excitement. Really. There's nothing crazy happening to this 13 year old. It's just her life, and that's it's every 13. You know, a lot of 13 year olds' lives. Yeah, nothing crazy happens, but, like, you obviously still see a, a change in her, though, at that point. Like, it's you, you still, like, it's such a dramatic shift from that point where it's, like, I think she does have a bit of a self-actualization, for lack of a better term, or um, where she realizes, like, hey, I do I do need to, I, I can kind of take control and do what I want, and I'm okay. My dad told me I was, and I can go and make some other choices i don't know like i though because the last the last two big things that really happened in the movie after that besides um you will well first you see her uh doing the time capsule to her to herself at the end of high school which is pretty cool that because that shows a lot of what she's learned but then she has a scene when they're waiting in line at graduation and she tells off the other girls uh where it's like wow like she really has flipped a little bit of a switch you know okay but what i what I love about that scene, mm-hmm. like there's just one detail that really just took it above and beyond for me. Like, yeah, she does like increase the speed of her walk and then she like goes up to the girls. And what I loved about it was how realistic it was that she said what she needed to say, but she didn't look at the girl. She like looked above them. Yep. And or, or she was looking at the ground she, too. Yeah. She was looking anywhere but the girls, mm-hmm. but what was really great, though, is that the girls finally looked at her, that the girls finally looked up from their phones long enough to see her, even though in that moment she wasn't even looking at those girls. Also, oh, one other point that I wanted to make earlier, but I don't think we ever really got to. Go for it. Uh, I thought about this the other day was that when you think about it, like when you really think about it, how many times was anyone really like ob- like objectively really mean to her? Any of like, her peers, not necessarily that. The, the high school boy, you know, trying to make a move on her. But how many times was, was someone, like, actively 
bullying her, like trying to be mean. I like, think, and I, I, you've I got, that's a good point because I do think that's one of the things the movie does well, and that like, I, I active bullying is. I mean, it's almost more subtle bullying, if you will. I guess the way they kind of exclude yeah. her at the birthday party, they make her feel kind of bad about that gift. They they won't look at her in the eye when they talk to her at school, like. Things can be a little more subtle like that, and they're still not being nice, but they're not like the kind of bullying that a teacher yeah. teacher's going to see and do something about. Yeah, I, I think the closest they came to like act, something actually mean happening with the eighth graders was when uh, the popular girl was like, my mom says I have to invite you, so I'm inviting you. Like, that was it. And it's like, you know, like you could tell, because again, it's, like you said, it's very subtle. Like, you know, when um, the popular girl and her mom are in the car and her mom's going on about, you should come, you should come. And, you know, the girls are kind of like rolling her eyes. But, like, there's like they don't – yeah, there's no actual, like, active bullying. No one's punching her. No one's, you know, making snide comments, really. You know, even about the gift where they're like, nobody don't really say anything. But, like, they don't – no one actually says, that's a dumb gift. It was really stupid. Or you look dumb in your bathing suit. It was just everyone's kind of, like, ignoring her and being self-centered in their own little worlds. And I think that's kind of how – a lot, like, there's obviously people who get actively bullied and people are legitimately awful to them, but a lot, that was my middle school experience a lot of the time was that people weren't really mean to me. It's kind of like, Some people just kind of ignored me, you know? Right. I think that well, it's interesting that you uh, make that point specifically about how a lot of, that was a lot of ignoring her at the party, like people just like not really noticing her at all. And even like, she does the thing where she does the karaoke, which I think is uh, – pretty interesting because it's the kind of move i can see a kid like that making when they're thinking about things in the way she is but the one person that doesn't ignore at the party is uh is gabe and that's kind of how i wanted to end it what did you think about it coming back to him where she decides oh i'm gonna go make friends with this other uh awkward kid well like i was saying earlier that she found someone to be herself with and that's what's really important because you know, you can try all you want to be friends with, you know, the popular kids or the it crowd or whatever. And you don't really become yourself until you find your group. And she was laughing. She was talking. And a lot of the film, when she she was was around her peers, she was not talking. And she was able to talk about her insecurities. Like, she's like, am I, yeah. am I talking an okay amount? Which is a weird thing to say, but like someone didn't judge her for like being concerned about that kind of thing. Yeah. And not just that, like she talked about her interest. Like, I don't think anybody else in the film, I mean, aside from her dad and yes, you do have Olivia, the mentor, but I don't think anybody else like was like, okay, well, oh, you like this. I like this too. Like yeah, we didn't, at the birthday we didn't, party, we didn't know, we didn't know, game. we didn't, we didn't know anything about what she liked besides the fact that she liked looking at her phone. And to be fair, that's a big part of like a lot of middle schoolers, but we still didn't know like, what do you specifically enjoy besides staring at the screen? You know? Yeah. And then they were like sharing references. And I mean, Gabe, just as a character in general, cracked me up because he's that awkward middle school boy he's not the cool middle school boy he is the complete opposite of you know the boy she was crushing on Mm -hmm. that's like oh well i got two of every sauce so we can you know dip our nuggets in different things but we don't have szechuan sauce and that led into rick and morty or you know oh i oh that's my my archery certificate (laughs) we left that out from Yeah, and it's just so funny because by, you know, looking for acceptance from the complete opposite people, she found somebody 
who hears her and who enjoys time with her and she can laugh. She can be lighthearted that she's not, you know, passing notes because she's not friends with her on Instagram or whatever. All right. Uh, we have, we have a little bit more time for a few thoughts on this. Uh, so I want to, I want to go around to each of you, Adam, do you have any other final thoughts, anything you thinking that we just didn't touch on yet or any, anything else, any other takes to get off your chest about this movie? Yeah, yeah. The one other thing, aside from the the bullying thing, was that I really like uh, that it didn't. The movie didn't make Elsie uh, Fisher the the butt of the joke. Like, there's a lot of movies I feel like that have come out maybe the last five, ten years, whatever, where it's a, there's a teenage character and and the movie and the the point of her character is almost the point of his or her character is like the teenager won't get off his phone. He's he won't take out his headphones and like it's funny and ridiculous. Whereas this movie is like no. This is just how they are. Like this, is, and you would be too if you were growing up. You know, in 2018, you know, it doesn't make. It's not a joke. It doesn't make light of being engrossed in the internet and being engrossed in social media as just like something stupid. It's it's like no, this is their lives. Like this is how yeah, people live right now. I agree. It didn't like look down upon them at all. Uh, Kayla, yeah, Kayla, Kayla, what are you thinking? Anything else? Um, I mean, I know I've said it several times, but just my favorite part about this movie was that she found her voice. She mm-hmm. found people who cared to hear what she had to say. Like, yeah, I mean, you had her dad who cared what she was saying. She had Olivia, the mentor, caring about what she was saying. She found Gabe at the end who cared what she was saying. And I just really love that she goes from the superlative of the quietest in the class to having this voice, you know, this voice on YouTube, this voice around people. And I think that's really important because, you know, you may be an influencer on Instagram, but does that mean you really have a voice? Oh, and I, sorry, I I had one more thing that I forgot. Um, And that's, you know, I feel like even though it takes place, you know, right now, you know, we haven't been in middle school for over a decade, and there are Thank people who. Thank God, are, social media wasn't going on in middle school yeah, for me. Yeah, that for sure. You know, and there are people who've seen the movie who, you know, we saw it in the theater in Boca Raton when a lot of the crowd was even old, was older than us. That's how and most movies are in Boca Raton. I know. Well, it's usually yeah. it's usually you but and a bunch of fifty year old fifty something people white people fifty years fifty years older than you. But well, ahead. it could have been it could have been sorry to bother you with that crowd. Yeah, I've, I did that too. Well, but yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, my, what I was getting at was that it was a relatability to it, even though a lot of it's focused on the internet and social media that, you know, had us cringing, you know, we're sitting there, there in our seats, just like, oh, that's, oh no, oh, it's, this is so relate. This is so, it reminds, it reminded us of being in middle school, even though the setting was 10 years and a whole, you know, major technological leap. The know, vibe I, I, was on uh, point. Exactly. Right. It felt like, like, oh, this still, feel, it felt, um, relatable because, if the vibe, yeah, felt like, oh, this is what it was like when I was in eighth grade, just with you know, cooler phones. The cringing and just awkward. Yeah, we were we were sitting next to each other, just like cr- like curled up, like cringing, like oh no, oh, and not even at any point, like certain scenes, like when they're playing in the like the high school band, like, in the middle school band, and you know, just other things like that, where it's like oh. Some things about middle school are still the same. Yeah, and that's the last thing I'll say is that I, I want to give Bo Burnham credit because he talked a lot about how a lot of movies get like really concerned or they'll even leave out some technology stuff because they're worried about it not seeming of the moment and that having that technology be dated. And he's like, no, I want to make this movie feel like it's of this point in time and it's just going to always be about being in eighth grade and in the, in the late 2010s, and that's just what it's going to be. And I respect that, but at the same time, I think 
you got to give him credit for like having some pulling off so much other stuff that really did feel timeless and was able to appeal to an older crowd. Um, and like I said, he didn't worry about it, that it was going to be rated R. He's kind of joked about it. Like, Oh, kids, you can go buy a ticket to something else and sneak in there. Right. If you can't do it. And he's just kind of rolled with the punches and he made the movie he wanted to make. It was rated R. It made sense. And he used 13 year old and 14 year old actors. He didn't have like high schoolers playing middle schoolers or college. It's not, wasn't like college age kids playing high school. Like you often said, like he used age appropriate actors and made a movie that really felt of this moment and felt really authentic. And I think that's the most, most impressive thing. And I, I think we about covered it, so I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk about this one with me. I'm I'm sure we'll be doing some more because I think you guys may or may not soon be migrating over to my AMC, and we're going to be seeing a lot more movies together possibly given on how this whole movie pass thing shakes out, which I've been talking about a lot on my podcast lately. So, um, All right, movie pass. Yep. So, all right, well, that does it for eighth grade, so stay tuned for Kayla and I's talk about Mamma Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> All right, and now I'm back with just Kayla. Adam has departed as uh, he did not join us, in, or he did not do what I did a couple weeks ago, and they were with me, and we were all watching Mamma Mia, but we only got through an hour, and I went back and finished it later, and Adam didn't, so he's not invited to this half of the podcast. Uh, but Kayla is now joining me to talk about Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Kayla, thanks for sticking around. Hey, no problem. So I watched this movie for the first time with you, or part of it, like I said, for the first time with you a couple weeks ago. I had never seen it before. It's the sequel, obviously, to 2008's Mamma Mia, based on the 1998 play. And they took 10 years off, and they decided to get the gang back together and do this movie. Uh, as You, though, unlike me, I had never seen the play. I would never watched the first movie. You had seen the first movie several times, were very familiar with the soundtrack and going in, whereas I literally had seen the 2008's Mamma Mia once. So when you found out they were doing a sequel, what were your thoughts? Were you like, where are they, they going to go from here? Or I'm just so excited I get to go see another one of these. What was your reaction when you found out there was going to be a sequel to Mamma Mia? Well, definitely both because I was like, oh, wow, yay, they're doing another one. And also, how in the world are they going to do this? They <laughs> kind of closed it up. So, I mean, it was, I was definitely surprised that it was happening, considering it's a 10-year gap between the first film and the second, and, I mean, there's not a sequel play, so didn't know what they were going to do with it. So when you did you know going in, like, I, I don't think I knew till like, a day before. Like, I, I really hadn't paid that much attention to the previews. Did you know they were – so what, what they ultimately do, for those of you who are listening to this and have seen it, is they go back and they kind of show how – Donna's character, Meryl Streep, when she was younger, now played by Lily James here. Uh, Yeah, how she – they showed a lot of the events that they talk about in the original where she – how she comes about meeting all the three guys that uh, may or may not have uh, been uh, Sophie's father. father. And they they, kind of show that, and then they show Sophie – um, they show they show Sophie getting ready to reopen their hotel because this isn't a spoiler. Uh, Donna has died a couple of years before the events of this movie. It was one year. It one was year. one year, and they were uh, doing the grand opening party. Um, they were doing it actually on the year anniversary of Donna's death. Gotcha. So that's that's kind of like the present day setting for the movie, and then they go back and they follow younger Donna around. So uh, what did you think of that flashback style? I don't even, I think I might've known like right before I went in, I, I looked something up and I was like, oh, that's who Lily James is playing. Because, because I, don't, I, I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but I just knew that Cher is also in this movie. She plays uh, the grandma, which uh, I have some thoughts on that too. But like, 
uh, I just thought like, oh, well, they just got Cher and Lily James to show up because Amanda Seyfried and Meryl Streep had better stuff to do, not knowing that they were even playing family relatives. So uh, what did you think when you – when did you find out that they were going to kind of do it as like a flashback movie halfway, and what did you think of that idea for a sequel? Well, honestly, I found that out through interviews. Okay, so you kind of watched I'm one of those of people, stuff. I like reading those movie interviews, and it was Meryl Streep talking about it, and I was like – all the previews that were in the theaters didn't show Meryl Streep. And I'm like, okay, well, Meryl Streep is Donna. What's going on here? Yeah. I very much remember Meryl Streep in an interview talking about how she just loves how Lily James did her character. Oh, okay. It's like, oh, she really has the spirit of Donna. And then I was like, huh. oh, Lily James is young, saying she has, you know, Donna's character, Donna's spirit. I'm like, okay, they're doing a flashback movie. I honestly didn't know how they were going to bring in Amanda Amanda Seyfried. I thought it was just going to be like all that straight flashback. Well, so uh, now that we've talked about like how oddly this movie kind of came about and what the plot was, my thing was that because I I guess I should have I should have I should have gotten around to asking you sooner. Like you liked the movie, right? Yeah, I liked it. It was a really fun movie. Like that's. That's the thing I have As too. simple as a word it is, that's the best way to describe the movie. It was fun. I enjoyed it. And that's the thing. I think there's a baseline for like what these movies do so well in that it, I'm asking you about this whole flashback thing and I don't even I, I don't want to say like I thought it was bad, but what my issue with it specifically was that it was it literally showed us exactly what they already told us in the first movie. Like you saw a little bit more of like the meat cutes for lack of a better term, like how she met the guys, but you already kind of knew the timeline of all of it. How, um, or you didn't, I don't think you exactly knew like, um, how she got together with Harry initially. They didn't talk about that a ton, but they talked about Bill and, uh, Sam a lot in the first one and how, uh, she got together with, uh, Sam and then he came back for her and then she was already with Harry. So we kind of we knew a she lot. She wasn't about with her. Harry. She was with Bill. My bad. I misspoke. Yeah, she was with Bill yeah. and that's when he left. And they tell us all that in the first movie. So I'm like, we're spending a lot of time here at the flashback where it's like, we already know the stuff. And it's like, I think a more compelling story for me would have just, if it's fine, if you want to bring all these characters back together, stay in this universe. And I, I, maybe Meryl Streep just didn't know, want to do a sequel. This is like my theory. She's like, I'm not going to star in a sequel because she's literally never done a sequel in her career. She's the best actress of literally all time by whatever measure you want to use. If you want to try and use like awards as like an objective measure. And it's like she might have just been like, this, is, this won't be great for my brand. I'll, I'll do a cameo and figure out how to do it without me. I don't, I, that's just a theory. I haven't read that much about it. But if it's like if that was what they had to do, then I get why they had to do a flashback movie. But like – we kind of just knew everything already. So it was like, oh, okay, it's not like the most exciting story just to jump from thing to thing where you kind of know how it's going to go. Well, I think it goes it goes deeper than that because if you think about it or overthink about it, however you want to put it. I overthink um, these things too much, I think, but yes. Well, you're a movie person, so of course <laughs> you. Um, but what it is is that the rebuilding of the hotel is all in memory of Donna. Mm-hmm. The movie is all in memory of Donna. It's her memories. It's her flashbacks. So it's kind of a little deeper than just, oh, it's a flashback movie. The, you know, reopening is focused on those memories. And so is the film. So they really can tie that in that well. That makes sense. And I'd say, and I'd say, like, even though that was kind of like my one critique of the story, like, I still had a lot of fun too. We, we saw it together and, like, 
I was, I, I, you, you can say, like, you, you, you can attest to the fact I was still into it. Like, I was laughing at all the ridiculous stuff. And it's like, as long as you have fun, I'm not going to give you, like, a bad grade. You know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't, like, give a movie a bad grade if you have, like, that much fun. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, and, it's not going to win any awards, but, and if it does, I'll be very surprised and very happy for it, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's nice to have a fun movie. Like all movies are so serious now or political or whatever. And it was nice to go in and, you know, dance in my seat and cry a little bit. Cause I cry at everything. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was a nice change of pace to not have to think through a movie to just enjoy it. Yeah. Cause that's the thing. Like you said, I overthink it. And I think the thing about these things is you just have to sit back and enjoy it. And I was still overthinking at parts. Cause it's just like, like a lot of stuff it's just like and we kind of talked about it when we watched the original it's like they're not the most graceful at going in and out of these musical numbers but hey, it's but it is greatly improved from mamma mia 2008 really to this one yeah it wasn't so you know jerky it's like surprise here's a song it's like oh it actually kind of incorporates into the plot of it so right it makes sense that they're going to be playing dancing queen like as they approach the island that whole caravan of boats as they do but like when you have uh Bill and Harry, like, doing the Titanic thing off the end of the boat. It's like, this makes no sense, but it's hilarious and fun. Like, something like that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. It's a lot of fun. And I'm just, like, laughing. I'm like, I don't really need to think about why they're doing this. They're, they're doing it because they're going to make me laugh and smile and be happy. And They're that, doing it because it's in the middle of a silly song. Like, not that, you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I'm just saying, it, it wasn't, it, I, I guess it was, like, more graceful than some of those musical cues in the first one, but it's, like, it doesn't make any sense that those guys are doing the Titanic thing for whatever reason, but it's just, like, it's just funny, and it makes you happy, and, and I, and, and, and they also still kind of, like, did, they leaned into, they kept doing the thing where they lean into, like, Pierce Bronson not being a good singer, which is, like, funny, because, like, they might have just been, like, oh, we can get some really good-looking guy here, like, I mean, Pierce Brosnan's kind of old now. I still think he had some of his youthful looks. He's still maybe. a silver fox. Like, sure. give him some credit. But, like, he was not that far removed from being James Bond when they did the 2008 movie. Like, I think Die Another Day came out in, like, 2003. So they filmed the first one in 2007. So he still looked, like, a little bit more, like, you know what I mean? Like, youthful then. And it's like they could have just, like, let him rest on his laurels and be, just be, like, the good-looking guy there to romance Meryl Streep or whatever. And instead, like, they made him sing still. And he, he, and he owned it. Like, he still has fun with it. And they, again, did that here. Like, I'm sure he, he, he knew what the drill was. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll sing, even if I'm not a good singer. And I thought it's kind of funny, though, because, like, I think I hadn't really looked it up, but I bet that the guys that played the younger version of all three of them, like, I bet they're, like, theater actors, you know, like, musical theater people, like, in London or stuff well, like I that. Well, I mean, but if you take, you know, young Sam, that yeah. it's, like, he wasn't that great of a singer either, so they really kind of had that connection there. I wasn't oh, blown yeah, I, away. I, I would agree that young Bill and young Harry were definitely, like, more of singer than young Sam was, which I guess kind of makes sense. Uh, I just thought it's, like, it's just fun how they just have all these goofy dudes, like, still running around singing, and it's just, like, you're right in that it's like I, I, I like you said i'm a movie person so maybe i'm going to take things more seriously so i'm a little more apt to just like embrace it when a movie gets a little serious and whatever but like i'm still just as there with you about like just being able to go to the movies for two hours and not have to worry about all that stuff and it did get at least i mean it's not heavy but like it did get sad at points and i think a movie should get credit when it can like make you as happy as it did but still like elicit tears even if as you say like you cry at a lot of stuff I mean, I cry at dog videos, so. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we talked a little bit about it, but, like, what did you think, like, 
um, obviously you, you saw the value in them doing the flashback and how it kind of tied into them uh, donate, or, uh, reopening the hotel in Donna's memory. But what did you think of those three young actresses and, um, and just how they depicted the young versions of all of them? Well, I agree with Meryl Streep that Lily James was fantastic. She had that Donna energy, you know, especially in that first scene where she rolls up in her graduation cap and gown and like these go-go boots that are just metallic. (laughs) And just throughout the whole thing, like she's looking for an adventure, you know, she's looking to find herself. Um, And then they also add in, you know, the Donna and the Dynamos and just that, that energy and, um, God, the girl that the girl that played the girl that played young Tanya like looks so much like Christine Baranski. Oh, she does. But I'm wondering if it's because they did her hair, like you that. know, a haircut and contouring, or she does really look. I that think her close. Fa- face is is somewhat similarly shaped for sure. Uh, yeah, and I will say, um, young Rosie was just precious. I she really had the Julie Waters feel to me. Really? Yeah, where it was just. Well, because in the first movie, if you remember, Rosie's a cook, and she has, yeah. like, this cookbook, and if you remember in the newer film, she's like, oh, we solve heartbreak with cake, and they had that food kind of as that connecting thing, and obviously they did the haircut, right, 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 and they did right, the mannerisms, yeah. and yeah. the body shape, because that's what casting does. <laughs> that's but, a good point. I mean, I did really enjoy you know, who they did for the girls. The guys, I mean, acting, you have to pick up the mannerisms of the older men, but I wasn't totally sold I thought I, th- I thought the guy that played Harry did have Colin Firth down fairly well. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. But I they almost played with that idea of how the boys don't really look like the men. And... Um, what yeah, because in, in the, the original, border patrol, the uh, what do you call? Oh, him? that was funny. The, the, At the ferry, where he's like, "Oh, H has been good to you," and yeah. ooh, because they were better younger. They, they well, kind of but they had the same act. They had the same actor playing him in both timelines, right? They did. It's just hilarious. Like it's like it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense, but it made for a really funny joke. Um, yeah, it's like they're kind of like, yeah, we get that they don't look the same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I, I like going back for a second to your other point. I like what you said about the graduation scene because, like, that's almost like as ridiculous as anything else in the movie to like hijack your Val Victorian speech and then do something like that. And I get that's just what musicals do in general. Like, song will break out in the middle of something, but it made me like, all right, Lily James is up for this because, like, I like Lily James as an actor. I haven't like she did Baby Driver last year. Uh, she did. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is a ridiculously underrated movie from 2016. Like, it's a riff, of, a riff on Pride and Prejudice, but, like... Fantastic li- book, by the way. Literally, with, the Zombies one or just Pride and Prejudice? Both. Oh, you've read both? Yeah, I have. Oh, okay. I have a copy of Pride and Prejudice have you, Zombies. Did you watch the movie? I did. The movie's delightful. It's delightful. <laughs> she is like so much, so game for something that's so goofy. And it should like remember. I should have just remembered that and been like, oh, she's gonna be good to do this. But it's like to be able to just like embrace the singing part of it because I don't really think she'd done any musicals. Like, there's a lot of music stuff in Baby Driver, but she's not singing. Like, so it was really cool that like, oh, so she is capable of like really owning these songs and doing it really well and just getting totally into it. Because yeah. I like her, but like to be able to like have the same. Uh, mindset. He was and, a great performer. Yeah, mindset and approach to do that. It's like, all right, she is here for this. She showed up. She came to play, and that's what that graduation scene was like. So I was like, all right, she's really good at this actually, because I just didn't know she could do that kind of thing. 
Um, and yeah, so I, I really liked her. I kind of agree with you that like maybe those other two of the younger guys weren't as similar to the older ones as they could have been, but like it was still fine. Um, I thought that even if I wasn't necessarily as taken with that storyline, like all of those performers are just like so enjoyable and all the music is still so fun that it's like I'm not sweating it too much. One of the things I will say that I did overthink was that uh, you get to the end and uh, what did you think of uh, the whole entire introduction of Cher? Okay, so they were kind of building up for it for a while and I pointed this out to you in the movie where it was like, oh, yeah, we don't really know about Grandma. She's just been in Vegas performing for ages. And I was just like, you know that Cher, right? That's and, a, that, that was the other cool, really meta joke where it's like, because no one actually sees, sees Cher in public that much these days. I guess because she's in Vegas. I don't know if she's actually like, I'm sure she's had a Vegas residency in real life. So that was just a funny joke they had right there. Yeah, I like really appreciated it. And there's no other way for me to put it besides it's very Cher. Hmm. <laughs> just... I know that sounds so silly, but it was just very share. It's like, oh, you know, Grandma, you weren't invited. Oh, well, those are the best kind of parties, you know, just like <laughs> they gave her. They, they, they gave her the I'm, good one-liners. Yeah, exactly. And she's like, to, she's totally enjoyable. I will say the thing that like I overthought was that like I'm like really weird and random. Like you've played some trivia with me before. Like I'll know random stuff like celebrity ages. So I just know like as a fact because I have so much random useless actor knowledge in my head that Meryl Streep was born in like 1949. I just know that. So then like when you tell me that like shares her mom, I'm like shares like 73 years old. She's like four years older than Meryl Streep. I was like so like one I'm like thinking about that, which is totally stupid and irrelevant to the whole movie, and it goes against everything we're talking about. Where you just and gotta, you like, shouldn't tell a woman's age, so. You need to apologize to Meryl. <laughs> that, that, that's easily look upable. But still, uh, I was thinking about that. And then I'm like thinking about the timeline in general. I'm like, this is in 1979 where they're doing the first thing where I guess they're graduating from college. So she she's having uh, – she's, she's giving birth to Sophie when she's like 22 or 23. So I was like thinking like the first movie took place in like – what came out in 2008 – but mm-hmm. she, but Sophie's only twenty in that movie, so I'm like, all right, I guess that one wasn't set in 2008, so I don't know where this one is set. But Meryl Streep's like 69 years old today, so that means she would have been 59 in 2008. So it doesn't really make sense that she would have graduated uh, college in 1979. Like I was so like I would have enjoyed. Okay, the- well, stop overthinking about actual ages because we all know like 30 year olds play teenagers on Disney Channel. Like yeah, stop overthinking that. Yeah, and it's just like it's just like a uh, it's like a problem that I have. It's like a stupid thing, especially if you like watch as many movies as I do. Like you're probably holding yourself back a lot from like the enjoyment you should be getting out of it. But I was like thinking about that stuff. But in spite of that, like I'm distracted by that, and I still like am like having a lot of fun just like watching Cher like totally own it and like walk in there and like her her I, helicopter, I, and her, her helicopter bike and suit. Bike, and... I was looking for the word to describe her outfit. Thank you, bike pantsuit. <laughs> she like she walks in there and she rocks it. and She's just like I'm gonna own it. I'm Cher. I'm gonna like make everyone like see how awesome I am. And even if they didn't invite me, because like that's the thing, like you said, the worried about those are the best kind of parties where you're not invited or whatever. And it was, it was, it was just like so delightful. And it was like I overthought it for like five minutes, and I'm like, what are you doing? It share. You should be there to have a good time. Exactly. What? So the other thing I want to ask about, because obviously, like they hit the high points with the with the songs. Like you get, you get the actual Mamma Mia song. You get. Uh, Dancing Queen, all that, but like you were talking to me about some of the stuff that they did with the music that you thought actually like enhanced the rest of the movie with regards to how they did the score. So, what were you so impressed by with that? Okay, so I am a big old music nerd person that 
I did band in high school and in middle school, and I really enjoy classical music. So a lot of times I'll download the score for different films. And what I really noticed, which probably is the best part of the movie for me, being the dork that I am about it, is that the score was actually the songs from the first film. So, you know, other music from ABBA. And they coordinated it to their characters. So, like, Julie Waters, she sang Take a Chance on Me in the first film. And um, one of her her scores in the... Sorry about that. Uh, one of her scores in the background of one of her scenes was Take a Chance on Me. Huh. And they changed the style of it to match, you know, the aesthetic, the ambience of the film. Uh, I can't remember exactly which song it was, but on one of the scenes on the ferry, they actually put a Grecian spin on another one of the ABBA songs so it fit in. And that's something that I personally really enjoyed, that instead of just this background noise, you actually got more ABBA songs that's cool. in the film. They weren't just sung through. That's cool. So, I mean, that's like a treat in there for just like the people that are really into the soundtrack that like if you're not really paying attention like you were, you're not going to or if you if you're not paying attention as opposed to what you were doing, like you're going to miss it. But like instead of just just playing all the greatest hits and not really because they know that'll still make people have fun and happy. Like they added something really interesting in there, which uh, if I had seen the first one a lot more, I'm sure I would have gotten like a lot of appreciation out of it. But I think that's just like a cool trick that they did. And I I remember you mentioning that Uh, we didn't talk about the very end yet. So like we said, like. Obviously, Meryl Streep not a huge presence in this at all. Um, obviously, her character had died. How did you? What did you think of that final scene where they uh, where they go into the chapel or whatever it is on the on the island and uh, she does kind of come back for that final musical number? What did you think that? How did you think that did as far as just like adding th- some extra layer of um, emotion to this film and all of a sudden out of nowhere it's like we're getting pretty serious and we've had our fun and now we're gonna make you cry. <laughs> Well, speaking of that, I did. Yeah. Um, I did 100% cry. And I was actually talking to my mom about the movie. I was like, oh, I finally saw it. It was so good. She's like, don't tell me anything. I haven't seen it yet. But I was told to bring tissues. I'm like, yes, mom. (laughs) Bring tissues. But one of the things that was said over and over through the film, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, was, oh, well, she's still here. Hmm. You know, and... Like, oh, all of this is, you know, in memory of her. Oh, but she's still here. And then you have, you know, the scenes with Sam where he has pictures of her. And he's like, oh, well, you know, it's like she's still here. And then you have that scene in the chapel and there she is. And it's all like a memory. But I really, really liked that scene in particular with how they did the flashbacks. Because they had, you know, young Donna walking up with Sophie to get baptized And then it would flip and it would be Sophie with her little one. And so they really incorporated it well there. So not only did it have young Donna, Lily James, but it also had Meryl Streep, um, you know, singing. And it's really showing that connection. It's really bringing in that, oh, well, you know, she's here too. Because they were, you know, that's one thing that Sophie said. She's like, I just wish my mom was here. And they were like, oh, she is. And... They open the door. It's Meryl Streep singing. They're like, "Oh, yep, there she is." Yeah, and I and I and I, and I really like that because I mean I think the first one has it. They have the Amanda Seyfried and Meryl Streep like have their moment, 
and they like where she's like really worried like she still wants her mom's approval and like meryl's kind of worried that like she's gonna judge her for being a slut basically and she's like no like you, you still mean a lot to me and like i just wanted to meet my dad but yeah so like she they, they, the movie takes that time to have that moment in the first part and in, in the first movie where it's like they still connect and she's like mom i still love you i still i still want to make sure that like I'm living up to your expectations when she's simultaneously like really worried that she's going to judge her for sleeping around when she was younger. And that I'm still really glad that the movie, like, I think there is some component. It's like the movie having, I I, I might be a little basic to say it, but it's that it's sex positive that like the first one, the the, the first (laughs) movie, right. The first movie doesn't judge her that much at all for it at all. And here it's like, they kind of make jokes about it where she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm usually not, I'm not, not this kind of girl. Well, usually but I am recently, yeah, but and, and not then, usually, and, but and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how like Lily James keeps like rattling off those lines where she's just like having to like work her way through it. And she's like, yeah, well, no, yeah, yeah, well, whatever. And it's just like whatever. You're like we're not we're not judging you that really at all for that. And it's just like we we do know the story already, but it's just kind of funny how they they make it a funny thing as opposed to like actually having anyone judge her really all that hard at all. It's and, and in the first one, it's more her being worried that she's going to get judged. And here, it's just like kind of a nice way to bring her back into it and just be like. Yeah, look, she, we're I'm, we're not gonna forget her, you know. And it, it's a, it's a small moment, but I think it's really meaningful. Like like you said, they're even as they're having fun throughout the movie, they're still dropping those hints. You know what I mean? And yeah. and then and then it just kind of comes all, all comes together in that final scene, and it's really cool. You have any other thoughts? Anything I forgot to ask you? I will say that I do appreciate that some of the ABBA songs they use. Yeah. They're not the ones you think of, but the ones that you do automatically automatically think of, you know, the Super Troopers, um, Dancing Queen Mamma Mia, they bring those back. But you don't get – those are the only three, if I remember correct, and I have a dream, sorry, um, that were repeated from the first film soundtrack. Gotcha. Interesting. So they really tried to, you know, expand that music library, essentially, of ABBA. And not just, okay, well, the first film, here's all these songs. We're just going to do them again. Gotcha. That's cool. Like, like, I'm, as I say all the time on my podcast, especially any that have a musical component, like, I am a musical Luddite. I do not, I know very little about it. And so I'm always excited when, like, my guest can, like, educate me on that kind of stuff. So, again, I, just like you said with the score, I'm glad they didn't just, like, rest on their laurels, rest on their laurels and, um, and actually kind of mixed it up, did something different with that, and kind of gave the audience something different, especially those that are, like, a little more in tune to what the music is. It gives them something else to kind of be like, oh, that's cool that they did that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And if you're like me and you really enjoy the first film, there were a lot of little details that they pulled from the first film to put in this one. Like, I know I mentioned to you the Napoleon hat. Ah. Where um, they they did the Waterloo scene and they took the hat, but you saw that hat with the light blue feather in the first film. And it's like, oh, oh. she must have just kept it. Right. And then also, I mean, very obviously the iconic overalls. They made that one very obvious. Right, right, right. Yeah. Huh. But yeah. they were very detail-oriented about it, and they really did try to bridge that gap between the first film and second film. Can I say one more uh, nitpick I have before we go? Sure. Uh, I know, like they don't. They, they even make jokes in the first movie about how they don't have a lot of internet access on the island and that kind of thing. And presumably, like like I said, I, if you're, if I'm doing my math in my head right, I guess that one took place before 2008. So maybe this one takes place before 2018. But you know, I think they could probably still find some kind of weather.com app or something like that and plan their big openings a, a little more around that and be able to have a little more foresight. Instead, everyone's relying on someone to have a random feeling about when a storm's coming. 
Just saying, okay, like, but you guys can get, you guys can, you guys can get with the times a little bit. That's all I'm but saying. I mean, think about it though. When you're really busy trying to do all of this stuff, and I don't know, run an entire resort, like you may not have time to run to the computer. Just saying, it's like kind of planning a wedding. Like, if there's an outside, uh, if it's an, if it's an outside wedding, you got a contingency plan. Just saying, okay, like, well, they should have done that. Well, you live in the South, you know it, you can sneeze and the weather changes. So exactly. So that's the why you got to that's why you gotta have a contingency plan. Just saying. That's all. That's, that's kind of my thought. I thought they should have had that taken care of. Uh, yeah. Oh, but I have one major question about the movie. Yeah. And maybe I just need to do personal research about it. Okay. So you have this whole movie takes place in 1979, right? Right. Okay. And so Sophie is between 20 and 22 years old. Right. Well, you have Cher's character and you have, um, oh, the senor, what's his name? Oh, Andy Garcia. That's not his name in the movie. It's the actor's name. Well, I want to, what's the character's name? Hold on. We can find this out quickly. His name is. Like Senor Del Fuego or something like that? Fernando Cienfuegos. Cienfuegos. Okay. So, with him, my major question is, you have Cher and him, like, oh, I lost this love in, like, 1957, 1958, 1959. I'm like, hold on. See, you're overthinking it, too. Is Donna his daughter? Is that what's happening? And somehow, Grandma and Grandpa actually got together? After all these years. So I have, like, that's a burning question for me. Then then, then you're just going to make me be doing more math, because Andy Garcia is seven years younger than Meryl Streep. Okay, love has no age. <laughs> well, just saying, like, uh, he's also, um, Andy Garcia is also about 10 years uh, younger younger than Cher, so in 1979. Once again, my point still stands. In 1979, like, well, well I mean, love might not, not have an age, but you want to make sure that you draw a line somewhere for legal reasons. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, were you, like, getting that kind, that, like, I might, idea no, as well? My, no, my, my, like, okay, is I, this, I, like, think is I, Donna's... I think my dad, this like dude she fell in love with in South America or Central America. I think my head might have gone there for a second, but I don't think I actually. I think then I did think I forgot. I was like, oh, is there going to be like more about their history here? And like, uh, but then I didn't. Then I didn't. No, it was a musical number. It wasn't about their history. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Um, But yeah, I think I I think we pretty well covered it. I appreciate you taking the time to talk about me with this one with me, uh, Kayla. And I think. uh, I, I'm glad if, if I had just been talking to some other random person that didn't know the first movie as well, this podcast uh, would have been a lot less informative and a lot more of just like people were aimlessly talking about music and stuff. So your expertise is greatly appreciated. Is there anything you want to plug? I like giving people the chance to plug something before they go, whether it be like a Twitter account or any other thing you have or no. No, I'm incredibly boring. Sorry. Nope, that, not a problem. As usual, I'm on Letterboxd at uh, Joshua Jernavoy and on Twitter at J O S H J U R N O V O I. Adam's on Twitter at A B Lichtenstein. Uh, I'm not going to spell that at the moment, even though I'm pretty sure I can. Uh, but thanks for li- listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>